Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. This was another tough week for the Hokies. We've had a, a couple of them throughout the year, and going down to Miami, playing in front of that meager crowd, and coming home with the loss was was disappointing, to say the least. Meager? That place was <laughs> packed. It was huge. There were the three banners that were flying around. It got upgraded. It started the year, I think, only with one banner, and then there were two negatives against firing Al Golden and one positive to keep him around. It's bizarre. <laughs> uh, can you muster a cheers for us this week? Because I could use a shot, but uh, I'm not sure if there's anything to cheers about. We... Said we were going to keep it relatively positive. We'll go through some of the negatives. But uh, Brewers coming back, so let's cheers to that. It's homecoming week, so that's exciting for a lot of the kids and the and the players. Let's let's just cheers to that. We'll get Brewer back on the field, which is exciting. And I think I think he's going to perform well this week, and I'm excited for him. He said he, it was a tough tough for rehabilitation for him because he did want to be out there supporting the team. So I felt bad for him. I'm glad he's going to be back out there. I know he played last week, but starting for us this week. Cheers to that. Cheers, man. I felt, I feel like we deserve that almost after this week. Oh my gosh. I was bummed again after that game. And before we get into the recap, uh, cause I've, Got a lot of things to say. I'm sure Robbie does too. He did lead off with the most important thing is that Brewer is going to start for us next week. That's news item number one and pretty much the only one this week. I haven't seen much coming out. There might be some more stuff comes out. We're recording this on Tuesday, tomorrow morning. But the only other news and note was Dion Newsom being suspended for DUI. Dion really hasn't been on the field, and I don't know why. I liked Newsom coming into the year. I mentioned in our season preview, I thought he could maybe win that third wide receiver slot. This is not going to help. He's barely seen the field as it is. So that's a bummer. So he's on the team. He's not, he's a, but he cannot play, I think. Is that the way that yeah, they worded it? he's been suspended, and it's not as if he was really playing anyway. Right. Unless he was a gunner on special teams, which I haven't seen. So I... But he no. can practice, I yeah. guess, which is – and hopefully he gets a little scared straight action going on so he can not be driving around drunk, which is, is not a good thing. But the news, yeah, that we want to take away is that our starting QB, who we expected to have at the beginning of the year and throughout the season, Brewer, will start this week. We're excited about it. This is the team on offense we expected to have in the beginning of the year, and we'll talk about that when we preview Duke. For now, let's recap Miami a bit and – as we said before, that was a really rough loss, and not in the way that ECU was because there was mistakes there, but this was just so winnable. Yeah. It was winnable. We should have played better. We gave it away in a lot of respects. Obviously, the turnover margin uh, was not in our favor. It was one of the things that we tweeted out right before the game from our from our account was the turnover margin was going to be critical in this game, and it ended up being <laughs> very critical yes. in, in this game. It was winnable. I can't sit back and say that we should have won that game. No, and right. it's it depends on how you you know you're interpreting should have or not whether you want to say that. And when you shoot yourself in the foot so many times that, you know, you have a stump <laughs> like we did, you don't really deserve to win the game, but we handed them what I thought was 14 points in the first half, right off the bat with the, with the slip out of the hand 
and they recover and go in a play later for the touchdown. Motley just slipped out of his hand. It happened in the pit game, happened in this game. At least at pit, it was raining. It was raining. Know, this time it was dry. <laughs> the announcer, I was listening to it. I, I try, Let's find some levity here. The announcer yesterday, I was listening to it again, goes, you know that humidity will really get after yeah, you? I remember hearing I that. was dying laughing just because I was in such a bad state rewatching the game. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I saw it. It's like, you know what? That will happen, but... It was literally like we handed them seven points. Then at the end of the half, we all saw what happened there with them doing going right down the field after seemingly, I guess, Frank and the coaches thought we might get the ball back. And then the 45-yard pass to Waters that bounced off Terrell's knee and then somehow into his hands. It, it was awful. It was awful. They drove down, scored. So in my opinion, like we basically just gave them 14 points and – they won by 10. I'm so. not, I'm not going to, there was they a lot of chatter score. Yeah. I'm not going to hate on Frank being aggressive. I think most people have talked about, it was a little inconsistent of when he was being aggressive and when he kind of chose not to be. And we'll get to what happened in the second half. But at the end of the day, he was trying to, you know, he was trying to, you know, call timeouts, try and get the ball back. You know, potentially if everything went perfectly, then I guess we could have been what at like the thirty or the thirty-five, getting the ball back if things went with perfectly. thirty seconds at you know, the most. 30. But and but Kaya was eating us apart. There's no way you oh could think gosh. that 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 was going to end well. I didn't think it was going to end well. As soon as I saw what was happening, I was upset about it. But whatever, he was being aggressive. We did not have an answer for Kaya in the first half. He had two hundred and sixteen of his two hundred and ninety-six yards passing. In the first half, and we couldn't get off the field on third down. It was brutal to watch. Whenever a team is converting third down over and over again, it's always tough to watch, and that's what was happening. And in the second half, we did tighten up, but that first half, I mean, they they had 20 points at the end of the first half, and that's that's not something that Tech normally gives up, and that put us in a hole. Motley's play was a huge negative in this game. He has been very strong for us in a backup role. I have to hand it to him. But in this game, he was making bad decision after bad decision with the football. It ended up in two interceptions, and there was another one that in the first half that he almost looked like it should have been an interception in the end zone. I think that was an, an interception. They got it got ruled in whatever it would be incomplete on the field. That was the only thing that saved us. It saved but it was us, at the yeah. two yard line. It was at the one yard line, and he was trying to thread it into a mix of. It looked like Isaiah Ford was there, Bucky was there, and four defenders. I think it was it crowded. Was. Some guy shouldered. Isaiah right before the ball got there. So it could have been pass interference, but it was such a mess that there was no call. Fortunately, it was ruled incomplete on the field, like Robbie said. So they didn't have substantial evidence to overturn it. But I don't again, think- another poor decision by Motley to say the least. Right. And I don't think you could blame this necessarily. Let's staying on the Motley point and sure. tying it into that. On the offensive line. I thought the offensive line gave him... Yeah, there were some times that he had to scramble out of the pocket, but that's what he does. That doesn't give you yeah, you know, the, the right to make bad decisions with the ball, but the, protect, the protection was you know, better than it has been in some of the down games, so I don't, I don't necessarily think it was directly correlated to the offensive line. It was, it was weird because Motley has not shown that many poor decisions in such a like short time period all season. He's shown sometimes he'll make a poor decision here and there, but every quarter 
it was happening like twice. And in the beginning of the second half, we were driving. I actually sent you a text with the drive chart because it was like McMillan run, McMillan run, McMillan receiving, McMillan run. And we're driving right down the field. He gets that long 29-yard run. And I'm like, all right, we are cooking. Motley interception on the next play. And that interception at the beginning of the second half was so killer. The momentum, and it wasn't to say that we didn't have a chance after that, but it was brutal on a drive that was going so well. And it was was a first down pass. Yeah. And that was when McMillan got to the edge when he, that, that was one of the runs where I was, I, I said, man, now everybody sees how good this kid is. He went to the edge. He made something out of nothing there. He should have been tackled probably right at the line of scrimmage. And then he got a first down out of that. I think it was a first down. And immediately you saw Motley about to pass it. And I'm thinking to myself, what are we, why is he passing right here? Yeah. I understand you run the ball to open up the pass. I get that. But that is when you're only getting three, four, five yards. You know, McMillan was getting at some points eight, nine, ten yards first downs. It so- was it was really impressive to watch him work. And you're right. Like every time a first down came up and we're doing like a little pass out in the flat, or in that case, the interception pass, I know you can't run it every first down. You can't become predictable, but we were mashing them. And if you're mashing, why stop? Like I didn't, and it's just so unfortunate that it turned up an interception because it really Hmm. killed our mojo in the early part of the second half. Uh, I want to move on a little bit to the positives while transitioning with, uh, with McMillan. He not only was hitting the outside, like you said, he was working well on the inside too. And he yep. was picking the right holes, making guys miss as usual, breaking tackles. I just love him. I'm I'm thrilled that there is no rotation. I no. mean, Trey came in on a couple third and ones, which I'm cool with. He's a big back and he can get us a yard. But McMillan seems to be our guy. I'm a little, like you said, in the cheers, mad that we went away from it later. And part of that was because of the score and the time in the game. Yeah. But I love Trayvon, and he still beats 115 total yards, 99 rush yards, and 16, 6.2 yards per carry, which would have been more without that that fumble uh, in the backfield that he had and then them not giving the ball anymore the well, rest of the Well, I game. don't even know if that was a f- – he was still jumbling the ball. I watched uh, – From the transition from Bruno. Yeah, I think you may have seen the French breakdown of it today. Anybody who was on key play, the breakdown – they they tried to run a counter, but they ran counter back into like into cover where there was no like coverage and the, where the blocking scheme wasn't. And I don't think he got a clean handoff. He was still juggling the ball on on that one. It was just a really bizarre play call, and and it looked like it should have been a keep because Brewer was wide open on the, the right hand side. There wasn't a defender for another five yards, but I you know that was very strange. So other positives, uh, Luther Matty had another good game, but he did have a really big penalty at the end of the first half, and it caused the free play that Waters ended up catching, which led to the seven points. But Luther did have a good game, uh, two tackles for loss and another sack. Um, Moto had a good game, 10 tackles. He looked good again, another tackle for loss. And Isaiah Ford, we can't say much more about him. He's open all the time for catches for 76 yards and a touchdown from Brewer late. And in that touchdown, which I thought initially watching it, oh, he's out of bounds. This sucks. 
he not only got one foot in, he got, that was an NFL touchdown. He got both feet in somehow. I, I don't know how backpedaling in the back corner of the end zone, uh, hats off the to, front corner of the end zone. It hats was awesome. off to both of them because Brewer took a huge shot on that coming back from the, the collarbone. He took a shot on that, still got the ball out there. And Isaiah made a really nice catch on that. That was a great play. I guess we should talk about this, the Brewer coming in thing, because you, you had mentioned it earlier. And you, so you were saying, you I, were saying like he should have started. I, I pissed off maybe a lot of people, although I, a lot of people retweeted what I said during the game was he shouldn't, he shouldn't have been in. We were desperate at that point. And that was probably a little bit extreme on, on my, my side. I, I just don't get the logic. So here's the logic in my mind was Brewer, they were keeping out for as long as possible until they need him. Because no matter what, he was going to be the starter again. And it was, in my mind, they had to be thinking, if we don't need him, we're not going to put him in. Which, okay. But he had a broken collarbone. Either it's healed or it isn't, right? And with with broken... Now, if he has muscle injury, then I get it. But with a collarbone and a bone break, either it's healed or it's not. So if it's not healed, he shouldn't be in the game. And if it is healed then why isn't he in the game? So then it leads to the argument of, is he rusty? Well, if he's rusty and you're sticking him in down in the fourth quarter, it just seems like that's just going to be a bridge too far for him to be successful and bring us back. Then again, he made that great pass to Ford. It just seems strange. Loeffler said it today, and I agree. He was trying to give the team a spark. Now, the reason Burr wasn't in the game, if you're asking me, was that he was still coming back and he was rusty. It's not that the bone wasn't healed necessarily. It's that he was rusty. Motley had been looking good in practice and let's face it. Motley had been good for us. He had just won us a game in in the ACC against NC state and he had played pretty well and had played pretty well for this, for the majority of the stretch that he had been in. So if you're looking at it and you're like, okay, I've got our starter who's a little rusty and I've got this guy who's been winning us games and just won an ACC game for us. I'm going to go with Motley, give Brewer one more week to get reps and get healthy. I can't say I fault the decision there, especially because I think Motley's running ability would have been good against Miami. And he did have some nice runs. He was our second leading rusher and had a pretty solid game running the football. So I think that was part of the mentality too. But once we got down and we needed to pass the football, I needed to pass it accurately. And Motley had been making poor decisions perfect storm for Brewer to come in the game. Well, and I'm, I don't want to go conspiracy theory on this whole thing, but Motley hasn't had to play a game. The last game, I think Motley knew Brewer was not coming in when we played NC state. So imagine Motley's probably thinking in the back of his mind, he's playing more conservative in some ways. Oh, he's hearing about, footsteps. He's hearing <laughs> footsteps because he knows when he screws up, he's going to get pulled and Brewer is going to be coming in. That's not a great way to play. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it I hadn't really thought of that, but, but it's not a bad theory. It, it would bother me knowing that Brewer, who everybody you know on the team loves so much and has been so supportive of and wants to see him back in the game is, you know, kind of getting your footsteps. So I don't know. The story of the game to me was, the beginning and the end of both halves. And I know that might encompass a lot of time, but I'm literally talking about very beginning and very end of both halves. You think about the slip out of the hand that turns into seven yards for, or seven points for Miami. Then their touchdown at the end of the first half. Then Motley's interception when we're driving at the beginning of the second half. And of course the drive to seal the game 
which in the second half, our D had tightened up. They had only given up 80 yards to Kaya the entire second half, and 52 of it came on that last drive. And it was it sucked. It was like as soon as Brewer threw that touchdown, I thought we had a chance to win the game. They instantly come back, 75-yard uh, drive, take it right down the field, score, and the game was over. And then Brewer ended up throwing a late pick, which – you're in desperation mode. It doesn't yeah, matter. It doesn't matter. But that was the story of the game. The beginning and the end of both halves, we just made too many mistakes or came out flat or whatever it may be. And we were also hampered by a couple of very poor coaching decisions. The field goal that we decided not to kick in, uh, I think it was the third quarter. Yep. We went on fourth down instead of kicking the field goal when five yards back before the penalty, we were going to kick the field goal. And either one of which I thought Joey Sly had a good chance of making. So why wouldn't you kick it? Points were so precious at that point, like going for, especially because it didn't make it fourth and one. It was still like a fourth and five or something. Well, that's what I was alluding to when we talked about the first half. The the play calling was a little sporadic. It didn't make sense. You're aggressive in the first half. Then you go a little bit conservative on one of the play. It, It didn't make a whole lot of sense. But I think you you summarized it perfectly. I thought overall we'll get into it. We defended the run well. I thought that Again. was good. Uh, that that's a positive. Um, I think we're about to talk about this shortly. The slant passes were abysmal in the first half. They they were running the same slant. They must have run it ten times. I didn't count. Maybe I'll go back and count. But there was a lot of the same plays. I think we got to be careful with that going into future ACC games. Uh, and overall, I think we gave, I gave, we gave this game away, and we also certainly didn't earn it. And we shouldn't, probably shouldn't have got the one, the win, even if we did pull it off at the end somehow miraculously. Yeah, I don't want to harp on the bad decision by the coaches, but I didn't understand the field goal situation that went on, and also there was a fourth and one, and we were down ten, and we decided to punt late in the game. Didn't really get that either. And let's get rid of these. Freaking penalties. Yeah, and again with the penalties. I mean, there was eight this game, but a couple of them, like the Woody Barron roughing the passer in the end of the first half was so critical. Luther made the one that gave him the free play. Then Woody Barron to compound it with the roughing the passer got them all the way down the field. I agree. The pass interference, we were getting beat. Miami has a really good wide receiving core, and Kai is a good quarterback. So I understand some of the pass interference ones where you're getting beat, right? That's going to happen. Those calls, these other ones, we were stopping the run. We were there's no there's no reason for those penalties to be there. I don't understand. I know those, like you were saying just a second ago. Those Miami receivers, first of all, they're all freak shows in terms like athletically. Uh, we were up against so much more than what we've seen almost against anybody, maybe even Ohio State in terms of just the athletes on the outside, and it showed because every third down in the first half, it seemed they got from a nice catch from one of their sick wide receivers. Even Yearby, Yearby's their running yeah. back. You remember the one-handed catch that he yeah. made right oh off the God, bat uh, on Matapuaka? Matapuaka, he came right around and it was just a one-handed you can't catch. Defend you that. knew you were in trouble right there. I'll end it with I hate Miami so much. From the middle finger that got caught on camera to all the chirpiness, it's. Every time we play them, it's just and we 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 come down and we play at their level and we get just as chirpy and we there were a couple times that Faison was off 
you know, talking to the refs. I don't know what's happening, you know, in the pile and things like that, but I just, I hate watching, I'll call it, you know, really just rude football, like where people are just being assholes. That game was full of a lot of dickheads playing in that game. It was, and sometimes you need that, and that's going to bring me to my final point. And I have a theory after I say this, because you had a theory earlier, and I liked it in terms of uh, why Motley might not have been playing good. Mine's as to why the team as a whole isn't playing well. And there again, there was no no one was fired up. There was no juice. There was no whatever you want to call it, emotion from the team. Like after plays, like we made a lot of good plays on defense. There were several very nice plays, tackles for loss, uh hits on Kaya, even if he got the ball off. And there just no one was high fiving anybody or like really like doing the jump and chest bump, whatever you want to call it. Hopefully, Brewer in this Duke game will help. And Brewer coming in did provide a little bit of a spark. We did get that touchdown, and it was important. But I think teams tend to mimic their star players. And usually that's their QB. And on defense, Daddy and Kendall Fuller, you know, they Kendall's out, and Daddy doesn't have a sack. And Daddy's the one I said in the pick game. He was the only one that was like raising his arms and trying to get the fans fired up and all this stuff. And he doesn't have a sack. Yeah. And star players need to lead by example. Like if Daddy got a sack against Duke, it would be so big. Uh-huh. If Brewer throws another touchdown pass, it's going to be so big. Like your team follows their leaders, both statistically and in the locker room. And that's what, without Kendall, that's Daddy and Brewer. You know, those are our leaders. I don't. I don't think that's a theory. I think that's just fact. I think that's a great point, and we'll see how it plays out because it's been lacking. And yeah, you know, we're getting we're getting almost everybody back. We're not getting Kendall back, so hopefully that leadership's there, and hopefully uh, Daddy's lobster hands can actually uh, get better, <laughs> and he can make a, a sack because I feel bad for him. That was a lot of complaining about the Miami game, <laughs> Robbie. I need to know what you're drinking right now. It's the Elysian. You recommended this to me, actually. I think it's a uh, a brewery that that you're familiar. The Immortal IPA is what it is. This was was damn delicious. I gotta say, I uh, I thought it was reminiscent of a couple of our favorites that we've had on on our earlier podcasts, and it was hoppy, not too hoppy, kind of well balanced. Uh, you know. It wasn't overly uh, overly alcoholic. It's about six point three by volume. So, but overall, I liked it a lot. It was a great suggestion. Elysian is a good brewery, and I recently had their pumpkin ale this past weekend, and it was awesome. And this this IPA is is, is the same. It was a really really good IPA. We got to talk about Duke now, and I wanted to give a brief overview as we do every week, and we're a little bit more familiar with Duke. You know, their coach is Dave Cutcliffe. And he's caused a resurgence at Duke, and it's been pretty incredible to see. Uh, this at- is his eighth season, actually, which is hard to believe. But the last three, from 2013 to present, he's been 24 and nine, and 13 and five in the ACC, and has a coastal title from 2013. Damn impressive, Cutcliffe. If you've ever heard some of the stories, and I'll botch this because I'm doing it on the fly, but if you ever heard the stories about him, he broke out what he wanted to do in, in at Duke into um, like year segments. And I can't remember if it was like three, four, five year segments, but 
it was, you know, start with the fundamentals and then kind of build that, then start winning. He said he was in an interview, I think, ahead of where he thought that they would be by about two years, given where that that program was. It was non-existent. They were averaging two wins a season for like 10 straight seasons. Right. And he, he brought it around a lot faster than even he thought he could, which is a testament to, you know, his coaching ability is out of this world. And now they're starting to recruit too. They have actually got a really good recruiting class in the uh, 2016 class currently. As for the team this year, they're five and one, and they're number 23 in the AP poll. However, their wins have not come against the greatest competition in Tulane, NC Central, BC, Georgia Tech, who's reeling, and Army. As far as their strength of schedule, and this is something I've been harping on, is. It, we're, depending on where you look, they have like over 100th in the nation in terms of strength of schedule. Uh, it's 104th according to Sagarin, 130th according to Kali. They've played nobody. They played Northwestern <laughs> and they lost. So the only good team they faced, they lost to. We need to talk about their defense here. And you were just telling me you're a little scared of this defense. I'm very scared of this defense. Uh, I, let's let's say I'll hit your points that you started with right on. I think that you bring up great points. One, they haven't really played anybody. We know GT was supposed to be good this year. They ended up being uh, they're you know they're a dumpster fire, and that's uh, that's that's us talking about them. BC, no, not a great program. The Northwestern game is interesting. I think in keeping this in mind because. They started the year, the first game, they beat a really great Stanford team. They did. And then they slid with losses to Michigan. They scored no points in that game. 38 nothing. Michigan beat them. And then Iowa, 40 nothing, Or 40-10, to 10, sorry. So I, I agree with you. That Northwestern team, I thought everybody was a little overhyped on. So they really haven't played a very strong schedule when, you, when it's all kind of through and through. Their defense... I think needs to be talked about because it is, uh, I don't know, top 15 in the nation. I think you could classify it. A lot it of the is categories good. Are- it is good. And, but it's still hard to say regardless of opponent. I do think that it's good and it's evidenced by some of their stats. They're the number one scoring defense in the country tied with Michigan at 9.3 points per game. They're giving up They're number four in total defense, giving up 252 yards per game. They're good. They're very good. And if you're looking at players, it starts with Jeremy Cash. This is a two-time All-American already. He's probably going to be All-American again this year. He's He's going to be All-ACC defenseman of the year, definitely. He might be the best player in the ACC, period. Not offense, not just defense. Period. The best player in the conference. He is so good. He plays safety, but he also will come up and kind of play a linebacker role. Depending, he plays on the run game. support in in some instances. He has a three force fumbles on the year, which eleven is- and a half tackles for loss, leading the ACC. Jeremy Cash, you might say, is money for the Blue Devils. This guy is a baller in every sense of the word. And not only that, if you read any of the stories about him, he's like just as good a kid off the field. He's always calls himself a student first and everything else. Jeremy Cash, truly a baller. He's actually a transfer from Ohio State. 
And uh, he said he's never looked back, and he loves it at Duke, and he is really taking the opportunity and run with it. And their their secondary, what they try and do is is they mix it up actually on the defense. They'll play man, they'll play zone coverage, they mix up their coverage to try and confuse the offense, and it it's it's obviously working pretty well, like you know, so far this year. It has worked well. They they run a four two five. Similar to what we run, um, and they've got the safety to, safeties to do it in Cash and Devon Edwards, who really, I mean, he he's not as good as Cash, but he's he's right there. This guy is incredible. Uh, he's third in the team in tackles. He's got an interception, but he just makes plays. They're both so versatile. They can use them in run support. They can both cover, and their other DBs. Uh, Breon Borders, uh, Byron Fields, DeAndre DeAndre Singleton. Singleton, Yeah, Yeah. they're they've got so many defensive backs; it's insane, and it's going to be tough to pass on this team. And it makes me happy that Brewer will be back for for this for that reason. Pulling it pulling it forward is whether we have to pass on these backs. Uh, It seems. Their defensive front is a lot like ours. It's undersized. A lot of people were concerned, uh, and a lot of Duke fans were concerned about an undersized defensive line for these guys and some of their linebackers, quite frankly. And they're a lot like us, right? Only they've been better, sadly. They've uh, they've contained well. They've filled holes well uh, up, up front. That's caused people to have to pass on them. But they were... That is one area that if we can we can muster up the uh, offensive line, we should be able to push them around. But they've done well this this year. I think the comparison to us is pretty good. I don't think there's the ceiling for their defensive line is nearly as high. But like us, they are a veteran group, and they stuff it like in the middle. They stuff the run well. Yep. On the outside is where they have a bit of a problem, and. They're very experienced in some ways, and then they have no experience in terms of their backups. And that's very similar to us as well. Yep. Their D-line is probably their weakest defensive group. Dwayne Norman, their linebacker, is a monster as well. Yep. He's leading the team in tackles, six and a half tackles for loss. He only had three all of last year, already has six and a half. Norman has been a huge and well welcomed surprise for the Blue Devils. And he stretches it sideline to sideline. He's very fast and he's shifty. He can read plays well, which is important for if you're undersized that you need to contain contain the run. That's what they've done with him. So I just am hoping that this defensive line uh is a little susceptible to the run on the outside. They don't they're not a good pass rushing defensive line. Mm-hmm. They are 80th in sacks and I think there's some susceptibility on the on the outside and we've seen Trayvon get to the outside we might have an advantage there um AJ Wolf I think one of their defensive tackles has done a good job of shoring up a lot of the holes so I think it's going to have to be on the the outside I'd love to see our O-line get in there and push people around and and zone block and build holes I don't know if that's going to happen so but I'm more than happy for us to run it on the outside as as well because I think that is a weakness we talked about Dwayne Norman but outside of him I think they might be a little susceptible there and that might be the place that we could attack them switching over to the offense Thomas Sirk their QB He's been adequate, 62% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, three picks, and he also has an additional two rushing touchdowns. The thing that Cirque really brings to the table is his running ability in general. He is averaging 12.5 attempts per game, 
4.3 yards per attempt and 54 yards rushing per game. So he's their leading rusher. He's definitely, you know, going to be a threat with his feet. And as we've talked about multiple times, that is always a problem for Virginia Tech. When we have to defend that, that's when things get problematic. Yeah, he's got three hundred. You, you got three hundred twenty-five yards. That's that's more than both uh, two pretty decent running backs. Uh, so he he likes holding on to the ball. They have uh, game planned around him conservatively. Like they do not they do not want him throwing the ball deep. They do not wanting him to to take chances. So it's either. Hold on to the ball or dump it off. Short passes, you know, out routes. It's it's nothing down the field that we really have to to worry about. Which after this last game and us getting burnt on the slant route again and again up the middle, maybe they go after that. But I think that would be chancy for them the way that he's been playing so far this year. It wouldn't speak to what they've been doing. Their running back Shaq Powell, Sean Wilson, and Jayla Duncan are. Basically, that's their offense. They like to run the football. Shaq Powell's their lead guy, 298 yards, three touchdowns, and five total TDs. And Wilson's right behind him. However, Jayla Duncan is coming back from an injury, and he's kind of their most threatening player in terms of big playability. Most physical, too. He He's the big boy for them. That they, He gets in there. The other two are more finesse runners. He's the more physical of, of the three, obviously. He's got uh, seven seven yards per carry and uh, two TDs on the season in Duncan. And like Robbie said, they like to use their running backs out of the backfield. 35 combined catches between those three guys. That's a lot of catches, and they just they like to dump it off. I don't think Cirque is the kind of guy that can go down the field consistently. That's something we might have to force him into if we can contain his running and these running backs running, which we've shown some success against. But they do have a couple guys that catch the football pretty well. And in fact, they've got three guys that catch it virtually identically. I've never seen anything this close. It, it almost looks like, and I'm going to use targets. So you got you got Roming, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, TJ Roming. Uh, you got Barnes and McCaffrey. 33, 31, and 30 targets apiece. So that's not catches, but the catches are pretty close as well. Catches are within one catch each. Yeah. And then yardage, 244, 266, and 266. That is the most balanced I think I've ever seen stat lines after this many games, too. I know. they. It's clear they they don't really have a go-to wide receiver. They're, They're passing to all three of these guys evenly. And they've had very limited tight end use, although Braxton Devers two years ago was very good for the Blue Devils and is back from an injury, though he hasn't factored in much this season. I guess what we're trying to say is that this is not the Miami receiving core, but they do have maybe you'd call it three number three receivers. That That's a perfect way I think you could put it is three. Maybe they creep up into a number you know, two slot, but... These are not what we just saw, what Kaya was throwing to. Those were super talented receivers. But you have to, you got to deal with, you know, them being able to spread it around a little bit here. And I, the running backs also factoring into the, to the past game. I want to say, uh, I need to, we need to bring up their O-line because it's been really good this year. And maybe some of that's due to the people they've played, but they are sixth in sacks given up. 
and ninth in tackles for loss given up. They're only, they've only given up four sacks the entire season. That's incredible. In in six games. That's really, really good, no matter who you're playing. And it's anchored by their center, Skira, who is basically an all-ACC player. That guy's incredible. They've run the ball really well between the tackles, which I think will play into our strength again because we defend well in between the tackles. That's one of the things we've been doing well all season. Despite the size of our line, we have really defended well up the middle. So hopefully that will remain the case. But the offensive line from Duke, I'm not sure Daddy's going to get his first sack in this game because they protect really well. And Cirque runs well. So he's... Not the, probably going to allow himself to be sacked very much for the advanced, you know, advanced statistics. I think the standard down, uh, you know, rate, which is usually your, it's the offensive downs where you can either think of an offense being an advantage because they could pass or run. So if, you know, it's first down, it's less than ten yards. Second down, it's six yards. I think third down, it's less than four yards. Your standard downs that they call it, they're a perfect zero percent first in the country for sacks. They do not allow any sacks in those instances, they are they are performing really, really well. This offensive line, Daddy's probably not getting <laughs> his first sack, and we'll have to worry about everybody else as well. We'll see. I guess what I want to... I guess I want to summarize my thoughts in terms of how we'll do against this offense, and it's all about Cirque's running ability to me. You have to force him to throw... Uh, Maybe a big player too here from Duncan, but they like to run it, and I expect us to shut down the run, run the true ball carrier running backs like we have game after game this year. And as long as you watch out for that short passing game they do, I think we're going to be fine. It's not a great offense; they're middle of the road in virtually every category. I. Do you have any differing thoughts on how we need to defend this team? No, I agree. Only them not being a great offense, we are, and maybe it's just our perspective of how good our defense is. We are so bad against mobile quarterbacks in our, in my perspective. It's true. It's true. I I would love, yeah, we could probably run the numbers. Maybe I'll, you know, spend the week at work instead of actually doing work doing it. But, you know, we we let up so many yards against mobile quarterbacks that that frightens me a bit. So I hope we just stuff the line of scrimmage and then have, you know, just somebody there, you know, sniping and just kind of making sure that, you know, that doesn't happen in this game because, I think we have a little bit more flexibility, even though our defensive backs are, in some cases, young and you know not as experienced. I think they're talented, and I think they can handle the backfield with three wide receivers that are spreading the ball around. Meaning, none of them are very good, right? In 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 respect to what we have and talent on our team. So I think we need to stack the kind of line of scrimmage and then have somebody there making sure that that quarterback does not just keep running all over us. Even if they are good, we need to make sure of it and we're going to force them to try and see if they're good because I, I, I said it maybe in passing, but yeah, it, we have to stop Syracuse running. We have said it over and over again in this podcast. Running QBs cause us problems. If you want to go back the last three years, you can see it again and again and again. Maybe Motua Puaka's improvement will limit that with Cirque. Uh, 
and that has to be the case because if he's running all over the place, we don't have a chance to win this game. Agreed. Flipping to our offense. I've said it a couple times. We need to establish the run. I like our chances of getting outside a bit, but Jeremy Cash will be a problem in pass and in run. And depending on what Loeffler can draw up, I think we will have some success on the ground. That is the weaker point. Their D-line and a couple of their outside linebackers, that's the weak part of their defense. So we need to attack it. They are also without one of their defensive ends, Kyler Brown, this game. He uh, sprained his MCL against Army, so that's a help as well. So I, I like us to get outside a little bit and also inside. I like McMillan anytime. I think this is the kind of player that can make people miss regardless of strength of a defense. I like pulling, when we, we did it, pulling Malik back into the H-back role and then having him blocking for McMillan in this particular game, given some of the undersized kind of defensive ends that they have and their linebackers. I I like that play just in general when we pull him back and have him. He's not the best blocker in the entire world, but he's a size, he's a big body and he can he can push people back. So, I, I like that. Uh, obviously, Sam Rogers is going to do what he can. I think that the running game is going to be critical critical to this. I don't think they've seen, um, you know, the same type of offense that we're we're about to put out there in in terms of the ability to Brewer to throw the deep ball and not necessarily as deep, but accurately. He is very accurate you know, 10, 15, 20 yards out, um, not sure throwing just kind of, you know, you know, dump off passes. So I'm excited to see what happens there. It's going to be, I, th- I think it's going to be really tough for us on the offense, but I think we're going to produce this week. And maybe that's just me feeling happy about it. No, I think you're right with the Brewer thing. I mean, Ford has shown an ability to get open on every team he's faced. Miami has a good secondary. Ford was still getting open. And Cam, Cam as well, for that matter. And we're gonna Brewer will find Ford five to six times in this game. I'm convinced of it. We need a big day from Bucky. I really think that against this linebacking core, um, this could potentially be a breakout game for him. He's had some decent games. He had two touchdowns against Purdue, but he still hasn't had that breakout game, six, seven catches. I think this could be it for Bucky. And in the same sense, maybe it's Malik. You know, Malik will factor in as well. If we protect Brewer and are able to establish the run, which in turn will protect Brewer, we'll win this game. Uh, now, if Brewer throws four picks or three picks like Motley did last game, you know we're going to have a hard time. But protect the football, protect Brewer, we win. And I think it's going to be close. But we'll I talk. think we should be excited because we only got to see Brewer for a half, right? He spent a lot of the offseason, and he spent a lot of practice this week. So... I'm excited about this game just to see Brewer come out and play football. And I think that's what he wants to do. I'm excited about it. So let's see what he does. Let's hope the O-line holds up for him because um, they need to. And I think he'll do well. Before we jump into our picks, I want to tell you what I'm drinking. And Robbie and I both had a couple of these. I'm drinking the Barking Squirrel Lager from Hop City Brewing Company. It's out in New York. And this lager actually drinks like an IPA. It's only 5% alcohol, but it's uh, had a really good hoppy flavor, uh, amber lager, and I liked it. It was I hadn't heard of Hop City Brewing before, but I saw it and decided to go for it earlier, and uh, 
I was happy with the decision. It's it's a good beer, and that logo is sweet as hell, right? <laughs> so that's that's I, nice. I like the label. It's got a squirrel on it holding some hops. Um, we're gonna jump into these picks. The Duke VT game. We have we we feel obligated to pick the v- Virginia Tech game, and I think I definitely picked Tech against Miami. Although we didn't have a spread last week, but I just thought we would win. <laughs> Yeah, we. I think we just we went pick them. We were on the NC State high. We figured we would win, and in all, in all honesty, we were good enough to win, but made far too many mistakes to win. Duke is a actually two point underdog to Virginia Tech, even though they're ranked number twenty three. I've been thinking for the last couple of days that this is going to be a three or four point game, and that we're going to get it since we're at home, and also. I just don't think Duke has really been tested the way they'll be tested against us. Yes, they played Georgia Tech and Northwestern, which are both solid teams. And BC, I guess I'll throw in there as well, even though they have no offense. But I think we'll beat Duke. I gave you some reasons before, but I just think our offense will do enough. And our defense has been solid. They were obviously susceptible to a good QB in Kaya. But Cirque is by no means Brad Kaya. So I like Tech to win by three or four points, so I'm taking Tech. Okay. I think this spread's going to bleed out and end up being plus, actually, Duke by the time that we actually hit, you know, kickoff. So I think, I don't know how much it's going to be, you know, plus, you know, two, three, something along those lines. But I think it's going to end up being plus Duke. In any case, I'm going to pick Virginia Tech because of Michael Brewer. And he's coming back, and they're gonna the offensive line. I think they even you know Trayvon. Everybody's gonna be fighting their heart out to try and get that win for him with him behind center. So it's no you know I'm not trying to slight Motley whatsoever. I just think Brewer has been a leader for this team. He's gone through a lot, and I think people are gonna play hard for him. I certainly hope that's the case. The next game is Clemson at Miami. Clemson's number six, and they're six-and-a-half-point favorites against Miami, not even getting a touchdown, which is kind of interesting since Clemson has been, like, dominating every spread they've been in. Um, Maybe they uh, think Kaya's good, I guess. Which makes well, me, he is good, but I, their their defense was not great. And Clemson's defense is damn good, yeah. so... I'm going to take Clemson with so at six and a Let's half. just be quick here. We're both taking Clemson. I think that I don't understand that spread. Maybe Vegas as always knows more than us. Pitt at Syracuse. Pitt's number twenty-five. They snuck into the poll, and uh, it's in the Carrier Dome. Pitt is six and a half point favorites. LS, this is an LSU hangover. That's what's happening here. That's why the spread is where it's at. Well, you know, these are some old Big East rivals, as we know well. And in the Carrier Dome was never good for Virginia Tech to play. I'm taking Q's at six and a half. I'm taking the Orangemen, and we'll just see what happens there. Robbie, what do you got? <laughs> uh, I said it from the beginning. Pitt is – I t- I'll tie this whole thing together finally said when I watched the Pitt-Iowa game that Iowa was really good and Pitt played them very hard, and I thought both those teams were respectable. I think Pitt is still good, even with uh, you know losing the running back. i got to go Pitt here. I, I, I can't imagine Syracuse and the Orange do this again. Next game is NC State at Wake. NC State is a 10-point favorite, which I actually kind of— 
I find kind of a lot. I know it's Wake, but still, this is you know a North Carolina in-state game. Remember Ricard- the remember the Florida State game that we we called uh, I know, Wake's favor I know. and we got that one. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Wake. Yeah, I'm. I have to agree. I'm gonna go Wake as well. Uh, I I this was the toughest one for me of all these games. I do think that NC State is a good team. I think they're definitely better than Wake, but being as this, the rivalries and the old ACC type stuff, I just I have to go with Wake with that ten point spread. That's just too many points. BC at Louisville. Uh, Louisville is seven and a half point favorites. What do you like? Uh, they're getting seven in the hook. You're really low on BC. I still think they have a good defense. Uh, I think it's. I think it's pretty good. This game is tough. I'm going to go. extra half seven. point makes a big difference. I know. Yeah, well, the extra half point is there on purpose, right? And I'm going to go, coming off that big loss against Florida State, I'm going to go with Louisville coming out with something to prove. They're two and four. It's This game means a lot to them, and Adazio's defense is good, but Louisville, they they're, they really need to perform right now. I may be stupid, but I just think Louisville is way better than their record, like way, way better. They've played a very tough schedule. I like Louisville to cover that 7.5, maybe win by 10, 15 points. UVA at UNC. UNC is a 17.5-point favorite against UVA. That is a massive spread for an interconference game, especially against a team in UVA that just – they just won their first FBS game last week in beating Syracuse in triple overtime. Well, first of all, let's just be clear. Notre Dame is better than North Carolina. So let's just put that in perspective. So we talk about the parity in college football. Let's just As far as whether mind. UVA can keep it close. So, for, of course, that Notre Dame game was in Charlottesville. This one is is in uh, one of the roughest places that you'll ever is play that a Chapel football. Hill? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't want to go into Chapel Hill anytime. <laughs> But uh, no, but I still do like you. Yeah, I just think seventeen and a half points is too much, and I I'm thinking you agree. Well, that that's a hundred percent. I agree with you. It's yeah. You know, hey, if they can keep up with Notre Dame, they can keep up with UNC. And I know, you know, Marquise Williams has has really turned it on. They're five and one right now. Yep, five and one only. They, lost to South and Carolina. they really should be six and zero. Oh. We were talking about this earlier. They should not have lost that South Carolina game. If they just ran hood the entire time, they probably would have won that game. So. But I still think that's a lot of points. So, period, I'm going to go with UVA. Last game is FSU at Georgia Tech. FSU is six-and-a-half-point favorites. We saw what FSU just did to Louisville. Isn't Um, that small? Were you surprised when you saw that line? Well, it was five, and it's moved to six-and-a-half. So, it's oddly small based on how bad Georgia Tech has been. And not that Florida State's been setting the world on fire, but they've been protecting the football, and they've been good, and Dalvin Cook is a monster. Yeah, he's a beast. So the line's at six and a half, and you know what? I'm going with FSU. I, I don't know what about Georgia Tech. Like, they kept it close versus Pitt. They were they were right there at the end against Pitt, which we both think is kind of good. Um, but I, 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 I got to take FSU here. Yeah. I think FSU is the smart choice. I can't tell if this is people thinking Paul Johnson's just going to 
start to figure it out. I can't figure out if it's the scheme of the triple option because the triple option, I don't think FSU's really figured that out in the past. Yeah, I think they've beat actually Georgia Tech a few times, but it hasn't been a blowout. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go FSU as well. Uh I think Paul Johnson's in a lot of trouble here than this year. I don't think that they're they're at risk of not making a bowl game, but I, I don't think they're that up against the ropes that they're going to come out and get motivated for this game against FSU. And I think FSU is more talented. And I think that they probably tried last week against Pitt. Like they gave it all they had and it still wasn't good enough against the athletes of FSU. I don't see that triple option getting any better. So yeah, I like FSU. That will wrap up our picks for the week. Uh, we are going to do college story time next week based on the loss and the fact that I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. Did you just bail on college, I'm, college story, story I'm time? I'm bailing, man. I, I can't. <laughs> I don't have anything, and I don't want to just like tell some story that's kind of okay. So we'll come back with it next week, um, hopefully after the win against Duke, and I'll be in a better mood to tell a funny story. Yeah. And a couple things coming up that we have, uh, you know, we haven't figured out times and places and all those things, but we do have two guests that are coming on the show that we're going to, uh, on the podcast. Yeah. No, I'm not going to tell you anymore. We got to lock it down first between our schedules and their schedules, but we have a couple more coming on. I hope everybody enjoyed the guests that we had when we were down in Blacksburg, um, and thank them for coming on. So definitely stay tuned for that because we're going to have more of that in the future. Make sure to email us any questions you have. It's 2deepvt at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us or hit us up on Twitter. It's at 2deepvt. And if you subscribe on iTunes, if you could give us a rating, that would be much appreciated. Five stars, you know, no big deal. Just throw that at us. That would be awesome. Um, I'll take a five stars. I'll pay money for just any stars. That would be good. Just a dollar each. That would be perfect. The amount of start it would be better than any of the recruits we have in this recruiting class. So let's let's go with that. Um, and we'll be bringing you hopefully a game song later in the week and our preview for BC next week, Halloween night. And until then, go Hokies. 